Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 16 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And right off the bat, I need to apologize for our little hiatus the last few weeks. A lot has been going on in our lives. Uh, some of which we may talk about, some of which we may not talk about, but, uh, been very, very busy the last few weeks, I guess the last month or so, uh, since our last recorded, uh, podcast. But we are back and the dynamic duo for this particular episode is going to be talking about philosophy, uh, not in the formal context thereof, but talking about quizzing philosophy in terms of a lot of different smorgasbordy sort of questions related to uh, quizzing topics, and one of which, uh, and of course the the first one that we're going to talk about is going back to challenging. We've been talking about that a fair bit on and off the last few episodes, but we wanted to kind of circle back yet again to some ideas about uh, challenging and kind of the mindset around it and dispelling some uh, notions, maybe some potentially wrong notions about those sorts of things, but then going through kind of this uh, smorgasbord of topics around quizzing and around the philosophy thereof. And with that said, uh, Scott, why don't you kick us off with our first uh, question? Yeah. So we're looking at a very specific part about challenging because I had some, I guess you could say a stroke of wisdom um, because this year and in past years, I've noticed, and you've noticed Griffin, that we haven't had a whole lot of challenges and we wish that there were more. And when I was a quizzer, we seemed to have a lot more challenges. And I was trying to think of why this might be, and, and I kind of settled on one main reason, and that is a difference in mindset when you're a quizzer. I think quizzers now generally think that the only time when they would challenge is when they are confident that a quiz master is objectively wrong, so has made an incorrect ruling on an objective manner, like the quiz master missed something or didn't know a rule. Well, thinking back to when I was a quizzer, 80% or more of the challenges were not on objective things. They're on subjective things, where there's not necessarily a right or a wrong. There might be a better and a less better, but that's, in my mind, is the tailor-made situation for a challenge. When you're talking about, did a quizzer say enough words to take them out of context? Did they say enough words of the answer to get them counted correct? And as a quiz master, you're trying to make your best possible ruling on something subjective, there is not a 100% correct ruling for you to make. And after you have made what you think is the best ruling based on your own thought process and information that you have, that is when the captains have their opportunity to present their perspective on this subjective ruling. And I think it would be very helpful for quizzers to think of it as we're not trying to be 100% sure that a quiz master has made an error. We're just wanting to have a different opinion on an admittedly subjective ruling. Yeah, absolutely. I would say in, for me and my experience in my room in, in, in quiz mastering, the challenges that I do receive on objective material are often easy to adjudicate very quickly because I can usually just like, like there are times where I just say a word wrong, uh, you know, or I'm, I'm, uh, I, I read a question and it says, uh, you know, where instead of when, and I say one thing versus the other, uh, and there's just an objectively incorrect thing that I did uh, in reciting the question. That does happen, uh, but usually I catch those things, or my my answer judge or more, my scorekeeper will catch those things. It usually doesn't get to the point 
of a challenge. Now, if it does get to a point of a challenge, then absolutely challenge on those objective things. I want to be, I want to be accurate, uh, in quiz mastering, but it's typically, it typically doesn't get to that point. It, it's typically fairly straightforward and, and easy when somebody stands up and says, Oh, I think you said X instead of Y, or, you know, Hey, you didn't say the reference, uh, when, it, you know, fully and they, you know, these sorts of, you know, clearly objective technical things. Uh, I usually just immediately say, yeah, great. You're right. Let's, let's, let's fix it. I don't go through the process of, you know, get, getting everybody's opinion and kind of going through the full challenge. In fact, I may just interrupt the challenge and say, yeah, you're right. Let's fix it. And, and let's move on. Um, the, the great value of challenging in, in my mind is when we are talking about those things where it's not black and white, because black and white is so easy to figure out. Like, like I can just look to the rule book. I can look to the material. I can look to the, the question as written and try to remember what I said and, you know, get that stuff taken care of. But when it comes to the subjective stuff, that's where I want to hear people's opinions about things. I want to, uh, you know, I want to hear out all of the challenges. I want to hear from the other, uh, the quiz masters. I'm going to go and whisper to my answer judge or, you know, my scorekeeper if I don't have an answer judge. And we're going to be, you know, talking for a bit, fair bit of time trying to figure things out. And that, those are great opportunities for challenging where you don't, you're, you're not saying that the quiz master is inherently wrong but might be wrong on these sort of, sort of subjective uh, judgments. And this is like, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. It's, it's, you don't need to know all of the rules to be able to do that. You don't need to know all of the material to be able to do that. Now, obviously, the more material you do know, the better. Uh, the more, with more authority will be in your voice and all this sort of stuff. Uh, the more comfortable you're going to be in making a challenge and ditto for the rules as well. But you don't actually need to know them. Um, you can even just stand and, and make a best guess, uh, make a best attempt, uh, at things. And that's perfectly reasonable. Absolutely. Like you're just wanting to have further conversation about something, right? It's, um, I have a note here that I, there's five to 10 rulings each meet where I, they're tough for me because they're on something subjective like this. And those are the sorts of rulings where I would love a quizzer to challenge and for us to have additional conversation about it and talking through why should it be this way versus another way or what's your thought? Because those sorts of conversations are how I become a better quiz master. They're how you become a better quizzer. And who knows? Maybe that's how new rules get written or existing rules get rewritten in a better way. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and for me, I think, yeah, five to 10 is, is pretty close to the same, uh, for me as well, where there are, there are decisions that I'm making. It's usually about one, a quiz, give or take a little bit, uh, where there's a question that comes up and I'm like, yeah, I think this is the right ruling, but you know, I really could be swayed here depending upon somebody's argument one way or the other. And, uh, you know, again, this is where I'm usually, I'll make a decision. I will do the, that sort of telltale wait a couple of seconds in an awkward silence before I start the next question, just to make sure, you know, does anybody want to talk about this? Like, okay, cool. And, and then we'll move on that kind of stuff. Um, although I shouldn't say, okay, cool, because it would be even more cool if somebody did want to rise, uh, to the challenge and make a challenge. Uh, and then we have the opportunity of going a little bit deeper. I don't know if this is a place where I can do something different as a quiz master to help invite more challenges, <laughs> but I know that when I'm giving a ruling on these, when I'm giving a ruling on these sorts of, um, subjective topics, 
I try to be pretty verbose in my explanation of my ruling. Um, and because I want to invite challenges so that you know, like, but um, give you the opportunity to know exactly where I'm coming from so that you have a basis to challenge from. Now, to some people, it may signal that I've thought a whole lot about this and I'm right, which I hope that's not what I'm conveying. But I want to tell a quizzer, like, oh, I'm calling you incorrect for these reasons. Like, I think you said this, which I deem to be an incorrect answer, or I think you said this, which I deem to have taken you out of context. So then if you disagree, you know exactly what to challenge about. Yeah, I'm... I tend to do the same thing. I worry a lot about saying, I, I, I worry about, I, I tend to do exactly what you do. You know, number one, uh, I, I tend to s- explain, you know, where my thought process is. I, I also worry simultaneous with doing that, that by explaining, I am justifying or I come across as justifying an answer, which thus in discourages uh, challenging. And in fact, really it, it's quite the opposite. I'm explaining in most contexts where it's subjective, I'm explaining in such a case where maybe it's a hint of, of an opportunity for somebody to say, well, wait a minute, I don't, I don't agree with your explanation or so forth. If anything, I tend to err on the side of explaining a little bit too little unless I'm really sure this is an objective decision, right? So the more objective a decision is, the more I'll just be like, here's what they said, here's what happened, boom, there's the decision, it's clear, uh, and it's unambiguous. I tend to be a little bit less conversational uh, if it's more subjective. Um, so I guess that's that's another tell in my room, I guess, uh, if you happen to be in my room. If I tend to be vague about why I've, I've ruled a particular way, it might be because I'm hesitant to explain something that might be interpreted as objective. And so that might be a tell for an opportunity to challenge. Very interesting. I know I've witnessed quiz masters who will deliberate for a while on a subjective ruling and then say something as simple as you are incorrect. And to me, that's as a quizzer, I would have no idea what to challenge on. What could I even challenge on? And from a confidence perspective, you wouldn't want to just stand up and challenge on four different topics and hope that you hit the reason that the quizmaster made the ruling that they did. And so in those sorts of situations, I would never really want to challenge. So I don't want to be that sort of quizmaster. But at the same time, when I'm being verbose in a ruling, I don't think it's appropriate for me to say, hey, everyone, I'm being verbose, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't challenge. Because I don't want to be that sort of um, opinionated or putting forth that sort of information to the quizzer that they should kind of just know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and, and, and really I'm, I'm, the more I'm thinking of it, I, I do two things very differently depending upon how I'm ruling. Um, so if I rule that the person, if, 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 let's say a person, you know, answers a question and it's really borderline, it's a very subjective, it's like, did they go out of context? Did they include everything? There's not a unique word here, but did they get enough of the idea here? You know, it's, and, and I'm, I'm really on the fence about it. And I, and I talk with my answer judge and we're like, well, yeah, kinda, I guess they're on, they, they're correct, but maybe not. Is it good? Is it close enough? And we're really struggling with it. One of two things is going to happen. We're either going to come down on the side of saying, they're correct, like it's good enough, or we're going to come down on the side of saying, yeah, it's it's probably not good enough. And one of two things is going to happen. We have a natural bias to want everyone to do well. So we have this sort of natural bias of wanting to count people correct unless 
there is some kind of reason that we can point to to say, like some sort of clear reason that we can point to to say that they're incorrect. Um, even if that reason might be subjective, we need some sort of reason to be able to point to. So generally what I found in, in my room is when, when I count somebody correct in those ambiguous situations, I will simply say you're correct and not say anything else. I won't explain sort of the, the thought process that we've gone through. Um, but I'll say you're correct. And then I will just wait for a few seconds to, to see if anybody challenges. If I count them incorrect, I will give them some kind of, of data behind, uh, behind what we're talking about. Again, I usually don't provide a ton because I don't want to come across with the idea of saying like, we've thought about every aspect of this. There's nothing more to discuss. Here's the definitive, absolutely infallible ruling. Uh, so, so I, I sort of say like, yeah, I think when you said this, you were, you were put you out of context, you know, here, or I really, the, the correct answer is this. And you said this other thing. And I just don't think that's close enough. I, I needed something closer to this or something along those lines. Then I'll just sort of stop there. Um, it's still, feels like a non-authoritative, non-responsive, even in that, in that case. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I sort of realizing if they're, if I end up counting them correct, I usually just sort of not explain anything because I'm just kind of throwing it out there and seeing if anybody's going to challenge. Yep. I think all that makes sense. But at the end of the day, we want quizzers to think of rulings as um, 90% of the time are more subjective that are open to a different opinion. Yeah, absolutely. So our next topic, we had a bunch of comments from a former quizzer that I thought were very helpful and will be useful to talk through for all of the quizzers in our district. So the first comment was, um, quote, I always struggled during the summer after district championships because I either did really well and wanted to build on that or really awful and wanted to show that I was better. So for other quizzers who might be in the same place I was, walk us through on the summer. Like, when should I start studying for the next year? What are the pros and cons of studying early in the summer um, as far as impact on scoring or if, if you have aspirations of making Great Western Internationals or losing desire in the middle of the year because you started so early? Do you ever want to kick us off on thoughts, Griffin? Well, so uh, yes, but but my information here is going to be not as authoritative as Scott's. I say I was never a quizzer myself, so I can't speak to what may have worked or not worked for me, but I can talk at sort of maybe a higher philosophical level. Um, I am a big fan of um, Chuck Norris for a lot of reasons, uh, not the least of which are Chuck Norris jokes. But one thing that is not a joke about Chuck Norris was when he was competing uh, in martial arts. One of the things, one of the aspects about him was when he would go and compete and in any particular, uh, and forgive me, I don't know the exact terminology, I'm just going to call it a match, uh, you know, which would be, say, one combat encounter with, with an opponent versus, say, an entire, say, meet uh, that he was at. Uh, in each particular match he was in, one of the things that I read about him was that win or lose, he would walk away from that match in ex virtually exactly the same uh, way, the same sort of uh, response to success or failure. Uh, he accepted both equally. Obviously, he wanted to do better and better each time, but he would approach each match 
as an individual unit and whether win or lose, as long as he could say to himself, I did my best and walk away from that, he would always sort of walk away neutrally. He, ne he didn't walk away saying, oh, shoot, I, I messed up and, and uh, gosh, I wish I did better. Or, and, or he wouldn't jump away saying, yay, I won or anything like that. He, he was sort of like this very, um, I guess stoic, uh, sort of, sort of figure as, as, as he was, as, as he was leaving the match. So when I'm looking at a lot of the, the maybe this is kind of from the beginning part of the quote that, that you were reciting there, Scott, uh, about, you know, struggling over the summer based on, you know, what happens at, at district championships, whether, you know, I did better than I thought or not as good as I wanted to or these sorts of things. I would maybe consider the idea of, of treating each quiz as an individual unit. Uh, and trying to walk away from each quiz with the same sort of demeanor and attitude and, and state of feeling as you would, whether it was a win or, or a loss. Uh, you know, try to take them all in context of sort of the bigger picture. With that being said, uh, you know, maybe looking at the second part of the question about when to start studying, I, it's difficult for me to believe that waiting to study more is a good idea. Um, certainly, you have to be careful about burnout. You know, you don't want to, you know, the, the level of study that like, if you're going to the internationals, the level of study that you're participating in right now is rather high. You wouldn't want to maintain that indefinitely over the summer and then pick right back up necessarily in the fall. You might want to give yourself a little bit of a break. That being said, it's, it's difficult for me to believe that, that taking a two month break is better than taking a one month break. So as long as you're as as long as you're not worried about burnout. But that being said, I don't know, Scott. Uh, what are your much more authoritative uh, thoughts on this? So this question kind of comes with a lot of different things embedded in it, which you kind of struck on to start with. Um, I think being teenagers, how you're gonna how you did at your last meet is going like the results, specifically results, are going to affect your mindset as you head off into the summer. Uh, I do think it's very good advice to try to divorce yourself from results as much as possible. I think about um, the basketball coach John Wooden's definition of success, which was trying to be the best that you can be, and can you live with the effort that you put forth? So it had no concept of winning. It had no concept of being better relative to competitors. It had um, The only concept was um, better relative to your possibilities, your your own personal possibilities. And I think that's a very healthy way to go about it because after every single quiz or meet or week of study, you can say, did I do the best that I could have done or did I do the best that I wanted to do, right? Because I, I understand that in quizzing, not everyone wants to be number one or um, put the amount of the maximum amount of time into it that they could potentially. Um, but it's very healthy to look at your process and how well are you doing personally uh, and not look at the results, how well are you doing relative to other people, and those sorts of things. And that will help your mindset. But then getting into the summer, I've run across all kinds of quizzers. Myself, I put so much time and effort into studying each year that I had to have a break. And it had to be at least a month. I ran into other international quizzers who put in the same amount of time that I did, time and effort. And on the plane ride home from internationals, they would want the material for the next year so that they could start. And I think just like memorization, it's kind of different strokes for different folks. There's di a different, you know, um, there are different ways to go about it. Now, for younger quizzers, even if they're very, very motivated to start studying as soon as district championships are over, 
I always encourage them to not put a strong emphasis on memorization and just um, if they're really excited to study, do a lot of reading through the material and other low, I guess, low fidelity ways of engaging with the material, like listening to it or writing it out. Because I think um, for quizzers, especially on the younger end of quizzing, so the 6th, 7th, 8th graders, it's just hard to have the discipline to start memorizing verses in May and still have to be doing it next May. I think that is just asking a lot, and I think the break is really helpful. And if they are motivated, start reading it over, listening to it, because it'll make your memorization super, super easy or much more easy when you get to it. But I think it is helpful to not not force yourself to be memorizing five verses a day right off the bat. Now, in the same vein, I, I knew a quizzer who knew that they had a lot of obligations in high school, and I believe they strove to memorize the entire material by December. And so worked on it kind of June, July through December, had the whole material memorized, and so could put a minimum amount of time into review from then on when they were busiest. But that's, you know, that's going to be a rare rare scenario where you have the, the self-discipline to do something like that. Yeah, cool. So hopefully we gave some good advice on that. I think it's very, very good to talk about this, right? So let's say you're super motivated or super unmotivated. Talk about it with a fellow quizzer or your coach and just say, hey, this is how I feel. Should I start right now? Should I wait a bit? And that process of just talking about it is going to be super healthy. So the next question was, what tips do you have for someone who wants to quiz five, six, or seven years? Um, how can I keep studying well through junior or senior year? Should I lower expectations? Um, or what if I've, I do really well to start the year and then I do poorly at a meet or two? So kind of two sets of expectations where you start strong and drop off. And this is, this is an interesting question because I bet you if you mapped out or created a statistical chart on at what age and grade do quizzers score the best, I think it's right in that ninth 10th and maybe 11th grade. Um, it might be it might be 11th and 12th grade purely because of survivorship bias. Um, but in general, upperclassmen lose interest because they have other things going on in life related to high school, related to going off to college, related to whatever else. Um, and I don't I don't feel like I'm in a it's my place to say you should have the same interest level and put the same amount of time into it for an entire seven your potential career. I guess totally up to you. Like I had a quizzer once who had been an amazing quizzer through, you know, eighth, ninth, 10th grade. And when they were not putting much time into quizzing as an 11th grader, I believe, think it was, they asked me, are you disappointed? And I think I was just a district coordinator, you know? And I was like, no, I'm not disappointed. Like I would love to see you put more time into it. But the fact that you're not is a personal decision. You know, it's not something that I look down on you for. And I think, um, it's up to each quizzer to decide where they want to allocate their time. I think there's tons of benefits to allocating your time to Bible quizzing, but I'm never privy to each and every one of upperclassmen's other um, obligations. You, know, you have any thoughts about the kind of career arc, Griffin? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with what you're talking about. You know, that probably 10th grade is probably a quizzer in his or her prime. And then there's a potential, there's a little bit of, of sort of junior and certainly senioritis that can set in. And you're right about the survivor bias. You know, we do see a lot of extremely good uh, 12th graders, but that may also be because the, the herd has been thinned, you know, over the, the last four years uh, leading towards the, the senior year. Um, 
I kind of approach this from a, so, so echoing what you just said, I, I totally, totally, totally agree. This is a personal choice. Uh, I would never f- want anyone to think that I was disappointed in them for choosing to emphasize quizzing a little bit less had they you know if they're if they're coming off of a 10th grade year where they were doing really well and they've got a lot more going on in their lives as they're heading into senior year and you know picking out colleges if that's their if if that's their choice and that's sort of their destination and kind of figuring out what they want to do with their life uh yeah the things get in the way of quizzing and as much as i love quizzing uh, quizzing is not all of life, and it would be really wrong to try to make quizzing all that there is in life. Uh, speaking kind of selfishly, I would maybe turn this around a little bit from a broader context of burnout. We were talking about the idea of, you know, how much time over the summer should somebody take? Uh, and again, a personal choice, I think, you know, uh, how much time should you take as a break over the summer from memorizing before you get into the new material? You know, I think it's, it, it, it's up to that individual person, like where's their burnout point? Uh, similarly, I wouldn't want somebody to, you know, if they're at a ninth grade or a 10th grade level and they're contributing a certain amount of time, uh, for quizzing and they're doing really well in their, and in the program as a result of that, but then more stuff is added into their lives as they are approaching, uh, high school graduation over the last couple of years or so. I wouldn't want them to reach the point of burnout. I wouldn't even want them to reach, uh, near, uh, the point of burnout, uh, and, and then basically have stuff start of kind of crumble in the last, you know, one or two years of high school. It's, I mean, you only get to be a senior in high school once. Um, well, I guess hopefully only once, but anyway, um, generally it's, it's, it's a, it's a very short period of time in your life. Uh, you don't want to go through burnout, uh, when you're 17 and 18, it's, it's not a good thing. In fact, and then going back to my selfish comment, uh, or my, my, my point about, you know, thinking about something selfishly, I would love to see, you know, if you're, you know, a 10th, 9th and 10th grader, and then you're looking at your 11th and 12th grade year, and you're thinking, yeah, I don't want to worry about, I, I don't want to get close to burnout. Maybe I throttle back a little bit, or maybe I even take my 12th grade year off and then come back the following year as an official. Uh, or, you know, maybe I quiz out through my 12th year, then I take a year or two off and then come back as an official. Uh, that's another way that the program is, and, and an incredibly important, uh, way that the program is invigorated and enriched. Not just people participating as quizzers, but then sticking with the program or, you know, taking a small hi- hiatus of some number of years and then coming back to it a little bit later on. The program is, is enriched that way. And, and I would think of it in, the broader sort of ministerial context, like what's the point of Bible quizzing? The point is to get as many people to memorize as much of scripture as possible. And in some ways, throttling back on that accelerator pedal is an appropriate choice to get the most number of verses memorized in total uh, over the course of a, of a quizzing career. Uh, and certainly in the broader context of a, not just an individual's career, but the entire program, uh, being able to balance that, uh, the pressure that you put on the accelerator, uh, pedal is, I think, really important. Good advice. Good advice. Oh, here's one that you might have to take the lead on. Um, also, how should I read the Bible apart from quizzing? 
I struggled spending so much time studying the specific books during the quizzing year that I neglected reading the Bible outside of my Bible quizzing time. So why might it be important to study for Bible quizzing? Um, why might it be important to study for Bible quizzing and also to read non-related uh, scriptures as well? <laughs> Do you want to kick okay. it off? Yeah. So um, obviously the uh, and, and this is this is really sort of self-evident. I think uh, the only way to really uh, study New, uh, New Testament scripture is to uh, become an expert in ancient Greek and to study the scripture in its original ancient Greek. Uh, very important. You should go to probably uh, four or six years uh, worth of seminary. Uh, no, I, of course I'm joking. Um, there is a massive wide variety in ways to study the Bible. I think in virtually every way, uh, there, there are blessings to be had, both individually for you in studying and then through you, the, the spirit working through you and through those words outward to other people because of your study, both individually and then study with other people. Now, there are, I think, ways to study that are more beneficial than others, but I think every way has some level of benefit. So the fact that you're even asking this question is a very positive thing because you're thinking about this. You're thinking about studying the Bible apart from quizzing or in addition to quizzing. And that's a really wonderful thing in quizzing itself. And we, we've talked a little bit about this in past episodes. Uh, I I've been very much along the lines of saying, don't worry about the meaning of things. I mean, if you, if you pick up the meaning of things along the way, great, but it's more about memorizing the word and the, I believe very fervently in the power of the spirit to illuminate that word uh, once it's buried and written on your heart. But uh, in terms of studying scripture outside of quizzing or in addition to quizzing, uh, maybe spend a little bit of time, uh, reading, reading for the enjoyment of the process, reading in the context of like whole books together, chapters together, read material that's not maybe part of the quizzing program. Uh, there's a lot of material that's not part of the quizzing program, uh, and all of which is divinely inspired and very, very beneficial. So I'd, I'd, I'd kind of go down those roads. Uh, if you can find some folks to be part of a, a Bible study or a Bible reading program together. I think the collaboration and study can be a very wonderful thing. Uh, you can certainly find folks like that from your church or local churches in the area, maybe even other quizzers. Uh, if you wanted to get a little program together going like that, I think that would be good. Uh, commentaries exist, um, but uh, I don't know. There, there, there's the joke that sometimes you have to read the Bible to understand what the commentary uh, says. Uh, so I, I don't the commentaries can be somewhat informative, but I wouldn't put a ton of focus on them. I think going and reading the Bible in different translations can be extremely helpful. I kind of joked about the ancient Greek, but uh, if you can find a couple of translations on a spectrum that are a little bit outside of what you're comfortable with. So uh, what we're used to in Bible quizzing is we uh, memorize, at least currently, out of the NIV. So maybe find a few other translations that you like, um, the RSV or the ESV. Maybe find like the NKJV or, um, I don't know, Some find a, a handful of different ways of Young's is interesting. Um, Young's literal, I mean, is, is kind of interesting. Find a few different translations and read a few verses or a chapter across those and, and cross compare. Uh, that can be really helpful. 
but again, there's thousands and thousands of different ways to approach scripture. And I, I wouldn't worry about getting it right there. Find what works for you and find what you can do comfortably and enjoy doing in small doses uh, every day. Because I think the aspect of studying scripture every day, regardless of exactly how you do it, is is really the best macro way of going about it. I have very little little to add, Griffin, because you know a lot more about it than I do and have more thoughts. But I think one of the beauties of Christianity is that the aspects of it are not designed to be um, oppressive and burdensome. Like they're not a list of rules that you must follow or else. And so approaching scripture and other things like prayer as something that you get to do um, and not worrying so much about the specific hows or is this the right way or the best way, but enjoy the process is a great thing. Next bit. How do I do well in a quiz master's room when I don't like their questions, their reading speed or lack thereof, their rulings, or I've been in lucky while um, they've been a quiz master? This is a tough one because you will run into quiz masters that you, their mannerisms are not comfortable to you or you think that they are just a poor quiz master, or you feel like they don't like you. Um, but I always tried to tell myself, for the most part, everyone in this quiz is having the exact same experience, right? If, if I don't think the questions are good, well, the questions aren't good for everybody. Um, if I think that they spill over too much in their reading cadence, well, they do that for everybody. And I, th- I think that's the best mindset to have uh, in a quiz is is acknowledging that it's a relative thing. So everyone everyone has the same test put forth, and it's the team that can do the well, do the well, do the best um, in context of or even in spite of the test that they are being presented. I know there's a quiz master who will often have very little flow and timing and downtime between questions, but will just barge right into the next one. Well, it's not ideal. But the quizzers that are on their toes and ready for the beginning of that next question are going to do better. And to me, that's just part of the competitive process. Yeah. And I would also kind of look at this from, you know, the Chuck Norris perspective. Um, think of the particular quiz room as a different kind of challenge, a different kind of opportunity. Uh, think of it in context of like, just let's, let's kind of put all the past stuff, you know, out of my mind and say, what's, what's the best that I can do in this particular context? I may not be able to do as well as in a different context. Uh, but again, it's, it's kind of like, you're not competing against a quiz master, but in a sense you are, uh, you know, it, it changes the, the dynamic of the quiz, right? So it, it would be similar to a sports team going against a difficult competitor versus in, an easier competitor. Uh, I think you should play both competitors in the same sort of mindset. Now your strategy might be a little bit different, but the mindset that you approach it should be the same. This idea of I'm going to attempt to be the best that I can be in the context that I find myself in. I think that's a great mindset. And it's kind of similar to the next question, which is whenever I quiz against certain teams or certain quizzers, I can never win jumps against them. How can I improve on that? And I love this question probably because I'm super competitive, but to me, it's just part of being competitive. People have asked me, how do you make a district to be a really good district? How do you make it be strong? And to me, there's there's not a whole lot you can do as like leadership to make a district 
be good and make the quizzers be good. But you start to see elements of it when quizzers quiz. Because when quizzers start quizzing, they don't really – most of them don't want to memorize the whole material. And so if they're not going to do that, well, the, the most common thing to do is memorize the key verses. Well, starting last year and then continuing on this year, we have a lot of quizzers who are studying key verses and are really good at them. So as a result, if you get a quiz with two or three of them, it's really hard for any one of them to quiz out on keepers questions like they are able to in other quizzes. Well, then what happens? They say, hey, I don't like this. I'm used to quizzing out, but when I run up against other quizzers who know what I know and are good, uh, I'm on equal footing or maybe a disadvantage. And that's when those quizzers say, hey, maybe I want to study the full material or maybe I want to study a different question type. And they start branching out. And then you get a few quizzers doing that, and p- they pick the same question type, and then they have the same conundrum, and then they branch out again. And, and that's how you get quizzers becoming very proficient at question types, specific question types, or the whole material, um, and you get many of them. And so if you're in a situation where there are certain teams or quizzers that you quiz poorly against, you kind of have a few options. You can say, hey, I'm not out here to get first every time or make internationals, and so in these quizzes against these certain teams, which maybe aren't a ton of my quizzes, if I do less good than I would hope, it's okay. You know, The other option you could take is say, hey, it's very inefficient for me to compete against them for the questions that I would normally get. I need to change tact so that I don't run into this issue. Now, that obviously takes work. I wouldn't argue that it really takes extra work. It just takes different work. But being honest with yourself about what your aspirations are and then what's the most efficient way to get to those aspirations are things that I love seeing quizzers work out and switch course or focus or dedicate more time in one area and less time in another. I think it's really exciting to watch. Yeah. I have very, I actually, I have nothing to contribute beyond what Scott already said on this one. So let's go on to the next one, which is why should I quiz when I can't ever get a question or I don't have time to study as long as other people. Why should I keep quizzing when I can't keep up or I will always be at a disadvantage time-wise? Or how do I juggle Bible quizzing on top of sports, school, music lessons, church, volunteering, etc.? And again, I think you just have to be honest with yourself about what do you want. I think um, a lot of Bible quizzing has parallels to life. Like There will often be situations where someone else either has an advantage that you don't have or can dedicate more time than you can for whatever reason. And... Um, you have to acknowledge that and understand that it's a reality, but it shouldn't stop you from going after something that you do want. So if you want to do really well in Bible quizzing, but you can only dedicate a small portion of your time, you have to be disciplined about carving out that time and then working efficiently during that time to study well. And you're teaching yourself skills that other people may not if they have seemingly unlimited time to study. They might be pretty lazy about it. Um, And that kind of is leads me into the how do I juggle Bible quizzing on top of sports, school, music lessons, church, volunteering, etc. Well, it's it's part of life. There are things that are going to be important to you, and there are things gonna be, that are going to be most important to you. And it's deciding how to prioritize your time for the, for the things that bring you the most fulfillment, that provide the most value to your life. However it is that you quantify that is a very important part of life. You know, when you go to – if you go to college, you're going to have to decide – How much time do I spend forming relationships? How much time do I spend studying for classes? How much time do I spend studying for employment post-college? How much time do I spend doing something that is purely entertaining or on hobbies? 
and that's part of, I think it's just part of life, discovering things about yourself. And yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm rambling to an, an enormous extent, but maybe you can pick me up, Griffin. Well, I, I, I don't think you're rambling. I think you're spot on. I think it, it goes back to kind of a theme from a lot of these questions. It's really on the individual. It, it's kind of like you have to understand how like we've been talking about the the accelerator pedal of how far you push yourself in bible quizzing i think it's appropriate to understand a balance there uh you don't you don't want to over push you don't want to under push you want to uh do what you can and and challenge yourself I, i i keep coming back to the idea of saying i think we all can do more than what we initially think that we are capable of doing it, it we're just sort of scared of the work and scared of the potential of failure. But if we can get over that fear of the potential of failure, I think we'll be surprised at how much we can actually accomplish if we try. Um, kind of diving into some of the specific questions in this block, um, like the first one there, you know, why should I quiz when I can't uh, get a question? I, I, I'm never able to get a question. Why should I quiz? Well, why are we quizzing? Are we quizzing to get questions? I mean, that's that's the reward. It's a reward. It's not even really the only reward. Um, but the idea of, of jumping and getting the jump and then answering the question correctly and earning points for yourself and earning points for your team and enjoying the competitive uh, process uh, is is an absolutely valid reason to do Bible quizzing. But it's not really, I would argue it's not the most important reason. I would say it's what we do to kind of overtly trick people into memorizing. It's the carrot. Um, but really the value of quizzing is the writing of the scripture on your heart, which, you know, maybe it's difficult to see the dividends immediately. Maybe those sort of dividends pay more exponentially over time later on in your life. And it's really hard to kind of envision that you know, as a, as a, as an eighth grader, ninth grader, 10th grader, but those dividends are there. They will, they will be there for you, but more importantly, for people around you, you will be able to share scripture with other people. You will be able to share the gospel with other people. You will be able to follow the great commission, uh, with other people. Uh, that's a wonderful thing. So like, why are you quizzing? Uh, is, is it, just to get questions, I think it's more than that. I think that can be a motivator, but I think you're quizzing to write the scripture on your heart. You're quizzing to develop friendships with other people. You're uh, doing quizzing because road trips are fun. Uh, you're doing quizzing because quiz meets are inherently fun in and of, in and of themselves, whether you're quizzing or not even, right? So like my daughter, um, uh, she's seven now, but, uh, you know, mostly was six uh, through the course of, uh, this last season. And when logistically it would work out where we couldn't take her to a quiz me for whatever reason, uh, she would get depressed. She would get very well, not depressed. That's too strong of a word. She would be very, very sad. <laughs> she would be overtly sad, uh, because it was something that she was looking forward to. She was clearly not going to quiz, but she enjoyed just being in that environment with people who were loving and Christian and wonderful and encouraging of her. And she got to get, have, you know, a hundred friends at the moment that she walks in the door. Uh, that's, that's a wonderful experience. That's another reason to, to quiz. So certainly 
there are things that you can do to improve your quizzing ability so that you can get questions, right? And certainly getting a question, answering it correctly is a great motivator. It's a huge sort of adrenaline kind of thing and it's exciting and it, and it kind of uh, lends itself toward more effective study and, and doing better, uh, uh, you know, in the next quiz and the next meet and so on. But I would just call that one aspect, uh, and, and certainly it's probably a very, actually, it is a very, very big aspect of quizzing. We are designing quizzing as a competition, uh, but there is more to it than just that. Even if um, I had one, I'm not going to mention her name because I don't want to embarrass her. Um, she was um, she was on a, a team that, that, that my wife and I coached, and uh, she was not a particularly good quizzer. In fact, probably one of our least good quizzers, but... She always showed up to practice on time. She had a great attitude. She went to every meet. I think she went to every meet. Uh, she participated and was a wonderful joy to have be in the quizzing process. And quizzing would have been less for her not being involved. Even though, I mean, maybe she got one or two questions like her entire quizzing career, quizzing would have been less for her not being in it. And so I was very, very glad that she wasn't in it. So, I mean, again, going back to kind of the personal thing, maybe look at yourself and say, why am I in quizzing? What am I doing here? What what am I getting out of it? What And more importantly, what is this doing to me that I can share with others? Uh, and then in terms of juggling Bible quizzing on top of sports school, music lessons, church volunteering, um, quit all those other things, just do Bible quizzing. No, I, I joke. Um, obviously, it's it's all about a, a balance. Those are great thoughts, Griffin, and I think I'm realizing how helpful it is to talk about these sorts of things because it's easy to forget all of these other values of Bible quizzing, and um, I'd love to have more and more discussions about how to design the structure of Bible quizzing to be beneficial and attractive to a wider range of individuals because um, there are so many more – so many benefits unrelated to doing well within the comp competitive structure of Bible quizzing that are reasons that we want more and more people to be involved. Yeah, absolutely. I have a fantasy of, uh, you know, intergenerational uh, quizzing. I have this fantasy in my mind where uh, we don't age out uh, people when they uh, age out of high school, that uh, we can have folks in college and in their careers and even in retirement from their careers uh, participating in something that resembles a Bible quizzing program. I think that would be wonderful and fantastic. We've uh, sort of got this uh, culture around the idea that Bible quizzing is only for uh, youth. And uh, I just don't, I don't buy it. I think Bible quizzing is a wonderful, wonderful youth program. And I'm really glad that it exists as a youth program. But uh, for all of the reasons that we say it's good for quizzers of ever, sorry, of, of for all the reasons that we say that it is a good idea for youth to be involved in Bible quizzing, I think every one of those reasons apply to uh, people who are not youth anymore. I agree. I think we've hit this line of questions, Griffin. Well, we've completed this line of questions, Griffin. Do you have any other random philosophical from the parking lot topics before we close out? Uh, not philosophical. I do have an update on CBQZ. I think we talked about it about a month ago. Like I said, I was super busy, uh, these last few weeks, uh, with some crazy good. I mean, it's all been good, mo mostly. Um, 
some crazy good uh, stuff in terms of, you know, my full-time actual career job sort of things and other sorts of stuff going on. Uh, but I did on the CBQZ level finally get uh, what I've been calling version 15 with scorekeeping uh, completed and it is launched. Well, it's not launched to production in terms of like, you can't go to cbqz.org and, and see it, but it has been, it's been published and merged into the master branch on the GitHub repository. So if you are a geek, you know what that means. Uh, if you're not a geek, don't worry about it. Um, fairly soon, for some definition of soon, I will uh, have it uh, published up onto the uh, the actual CBQZ uh, website itself uh, for folks to use. I, I think I'm procrastinating a little bit intentionally because if anybody out there happens to be using CBQZ in terms of prep, for internationals, I don't want to do anything that's going to sort of disrupt you right now. And so I think once internationals is done, I will then do uh, a big release and, and then we'll have a couple of months before uh, the season starts. Uh, but uh, maybe more news on that in the, in the coming months. Sounds awesome. So Scott, anything else that you want to throw in there? I don't think so. I, well, um, we would always love more podcast topics. We can think on our own, in our own little silo about what would be important to the Christian community, but we, we love it when you tell us. I, I think one big topic that I have coming up is talking about situation questions, because as a quizzer, they're the question type I stayed away from almost the most. As a quiz master, they're the question type I like to write the least, but I've talked to many people um, who say situation questions are their favorite, so I'm excited to talk about all the things that I don't like about them, um, but that's one podcast topic and we would love more questions about really anything so please email those in to iq at cbqz.org yes please do and in the next few weeks we're going to be trying to coordinate some interviews uh you know folks like uh, jeremy and abby and the corvallis coaches and uh other sorts of things so any sort of uh topics that you want us to talk about again like any questions like we've been, what we've been saying uh any sort of um dilemmas that you're facing any kind of ideas that you have about quizzing would love to hear from you so please email iq at cbqz.org please follow us on twitter at inside quizzing scott does a great job of keeping that kind of posting and up to date and so forth and i believe that is it uh so scott i appreciate it and uh Thank you, Scott, and thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. See you later. See you later. Bye.